We're going to be in the last three verses of 1 Peter this morning. If you want to turn there, 1 Peter 5, 12 through 14. As we've mentioned a lot during this series, um, Peter is writing to churches in Asia Minor that are under pressure. They're under pressure. So as you turn there, let me ask you this personal question. What are your pressure points this morning? What are your pressure points this morning? Maybe when you think back on elementary school days, like maybe like fifth or sixth grade, did you ever have the kid in class that knew pressure points? And he would just like come up behind you and stick his finger right there or act like he's going to shake your hand and then press right there and like your knees would just buckle? Okay. Humorous way of asking a serious question, what are your pressure points this morning? What are the things that you are personally experiencing that are pressuring you, that are making you, making your knees weak. Keep those things in mind as we come to 1 Peter. Last part of the, of the book here, chapter 5, verse 12, Peter writes this. By Sylvanus, a faithful brother as I regard him, I have written briefly to you, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. She who is at Babylon, who is likewise chosen, sends you greetings, and so does Mark, my son. Greet one another with the kiss of love. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. And with that, Peter concludes the letter. What is he doing here? Well, he's sending it by Sylvanus. You might know him better as Silas. He was the one who perhaps was Peter's secretary, but most likely and very close to definitely was the one that delivered the letter to the churches in Asia Minor. And Peter says, I have written briefly to you, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. Peter right here is giving a summary statement of the purpose of the letter. All this that you have heard was for this purpose, to exhort and declare that this is the true grace of God. Uh, I want you to see here that Peter is striking a pastoral tone with apostolic authority right here. When he says exhorting, it's not the same exhorting as we saw him exhorting the elders in the beginning of chapter 5, verse 1. This is an exhortation that is an encouraging exhortation rather than urging. He knows that these churches are under pressure. And he wants to clearly leave them with this last word of encouragement as their pastor. He wants to encourage them. And he also wants to declare, and this declaration is actually a witness statement. He's saying this, I, I not only encourage you, but the reason that I am able to encourage you is because I am able to affirm the veracity of what I have said. 
I saw Christ's suffering. I saw his risen body. And I saw him ascend to the heavens. I also saw the Holy Spirit come down in flames of fire and the church birthed. So I want to encourage you, but I also want to say this very clearly, that I am a witness to these things. You don't have to look somewhere else to find out if this is really true. I am saying to you, this is true. So in this purpose statement of the letter, he's saying, this is the true grace of God. This is it. There's no reason to go anywhere else. If you've been reading this, you know the grace of God. Churches. And it is the true grace of God. When the pressure points start to make you doubt, or the pressure points start to make you cower, or the pressure points start to fill you with the what-ifs, Know that this is the true grace of God. It's not maybe the grace of God. It is the true grace of God. To which we would ask ourselves, what is this true grace of God that he is encouraging them to stand firm in? Well, specifically, broadly, I mean, I'm I'm sorry, specifically the contents of this letter, what he has written to them, and more broadly and ultimately the gospel, which we'll get into in a couple minutes. But why must his readers or his hearers here, as well as us, be reminded to stand firmly in it? Well, it's precisely because we have pressure points. And those pressure points cause our spiritual knees to buckle. And we wonder, am I actually strong enough to continue standing? Do I have what it takes when the, the pressures of this life... Are, are, you ever, um, are you ever amazed by how the smallest thing can make the biggest deal to you? He's saying those things can cause us to cower, to waver to walk away, to doubt, to wonder, not in a worshipful wonder, but in a, am I really in the right spot? Is he really the right God? So we must be reminded to stand firmly in it because we forget and because we stray. Yet the thing is, Peter throughout this letter is saying this, The pressure is from God. The pressure is sanctifying. The pressure is from His good hand to you. So He's saying, I understand you're in pressure, under pressure, but stand firm into grace. And that's what the Greek means here. It's not just stand. He's saying, stand into it. Lean into the grace of God. Lean into it. Move into it more and more and more. But still, you wonder, what does that actually mean? How can I lean into the grace of God? Well, I would say this. 
We need to, when it's about leaning into, we need to more precisely define what that grace is. We had lunch the other day, Natalie and I did, with Sam and Sam's fiance, Melissa. And during that lunch, you can tell me if I'm telling the truth, Sam, we asked, can we see your engagement ring? Okay? And of course, she said, of course, and put it out there on the table. All right? And Nat was sitting across from her, and she leaned into it. She wanted to see that ring. I was like, cool, engagement ring. That's kind of like Sam was like, cool, engagement ring. Nat and Melissa were looking, gazing at the diamond. Well, I would say this. I think that we need to look at the facets of the diamond of the true grace of God. So let me, let me tell you some of these facets that we're going to see again in 1 Peter this morning. First of all, it's this reality of election. That God has chosen His people to be His people. He's chosen His people to be His people. That's one facet of the diamond. God's initiate, initiative through grace is choosing people and has chosen people from before the foundations of the earth. So there's this election that God has said, there are people that I'm going to set my love on. They will be mine. The second is regeneration. Regeneration is the doctrinal word for being born again. For being born again. If you look at the beginning of 1 Peter, verse 3, he says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again. Verse 3 of chapter 1. He has caused us to be born again. Let me just tell you, I was reading in John yesterday. Listen to this. John 1, verse 12. But to all who did receive him, being Christ, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. To have your heart changed, to be spiritually born again, is God initiating that work in your life. You never see a baby, if a baby could talk right away, coming out of the birth canal. Hey, I knew this is what, was I, what I was going to be born into. No. That baby had no will in and of herself or himself to be created and to be born. It is the same with the Christian. It is by God's gracious will that we know him. Next, third facet, salvation. Christ the righteous, suffering for the unrighteous, received by faith. Fourth, adoption, full of the Spirit of God, through the Son of God and the Father. The Father calls us His sons and daughters. You can see Romans 8.14 for that. Sanctification, the Holy Spirit forms our obedience to Christ. And He often uses 
suffering. Submission. With Christ as Lord, we humbly, he humbly entrusted himself to the Father's will so that we too can entrust ourselves to the Father's will. And finally, glorification. Christ's reign and our full resurrection. Election, regeneration, salvation, adoption, sanctification, submission, glorification. We could spend an entire year and give each of those things a month of sermons. This morning, I just put those out there saying, these are doctrines to gaze into. Because when you gaze into these things, and the grace of God begins to percolate inside of you, you will stand firm. Because you're standing and you're gazing, you're leaning into What I would like to do this morning is a little different, admittedly, but I think it does justice to this being the conclusion of the letter. I'm going to read 1 Peter, okay? So if you would, if you don't have a Bible out yet, turn to 1 Peter. It's on page 1014 in your pew Bibles, I believe. And I would like you to look for these facets of the diamond as Peter writes. And I would also like you to look for one other thing, because this will be our application this morning, I would like you to look for this. What will stand into eternity? What will stand forever? And therefore, what should people who have been chosen to spend eternity with God give our lives to? 1 Peter 1, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the knowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, You believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you, 
in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Things into which angels long to look. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you with the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on him as father, who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ. Like that of a lamb without blemish or spot, he was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and your hope are in God. Having purified your souls by obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. So, put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. As you come to Him, a living stone rejected by men but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Be subject 
for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing when, mindful of God, one endures suffer, suffer, sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if, when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed, for you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. When they see your respectful and pure conduct, do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable, imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves, by submitting to their own husbands as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children, if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Now, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good. But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet, do it with gentleness and respect, 
having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit, in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison, because they formerly did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is, eight persons, were brought safely through water. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God, with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. Since, therefore, Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking, for whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. With respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery, and they malign you. But they will give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is why the gospel was preached even to those who are dead. That though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Beloved, Do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief, or an evildoer, or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. 
So I exhort the elders among you, as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. By Silvanus, a faithful brother as I regard him, I have written briefly to you, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. She who is at Babylon, who was likewise chosen, sends you greetings, and so does Mark, my son. Greet one another with the kiss of love. Peace to all who are in Christ. You know, as I was preparing this week, and I just have a few other thoughts to kind of give you some more sense of First Peter here. Um, you know, I hope that you've been able to be in First Peter as broadly as we get to be as we study it. Um, so this, this week, as I was like, ah, should I do the whole read First Peter thing? Um, it's like the Lord is like, yes, you need to, you need to. No, can't I do something else? No, you need to, you need to. And I think part of that is that we as the church need to see and hear that reading God's word in large chunks brings fullness. Um, I would encourage you in that. Sometimes you might wonder, how did Bill see that? Well, oftentimes it's because Bill read the whole book. Okay? And so those connection points happen. I would encourage you as, as learners of Christ, disciples of him, to read large chunks of scripture. That's an aside. What, what should people of eternity be about? What will stand forever according to Peter? Well, I think you would say, first of all, the gospel. The gospel stands forever. We see this in chapter 1 at the very end. Looking at verse 23, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, Love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Since you have been born again, not of imperishable seed, 
not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass, all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. Isn't that an interesting way for Peter to describe it? You have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable. Our fleshly bodies were conceived of perishable seed. Our regenerate hearts are conceived of imperishable seed. God, in his loving will towards us, conceives us and births us, giving us new hearts. And so he's saying here, this is the living and abiding word of God that gave you life, and it is lasting forever. So if he If you have been born again by imperishable seed, that means you're never going to die just like the seed that birthed you, spiritually conceived you, is never going to die. Therefore, continue to live according to the word. Give yourself continually to the imperishable gospel. It is the good news that was preached to you and it will remain forever. Again, this echoes what he says here. This is the true grace of God. You don't have to look for another gospel. For many of us, we're not looking for other gospels, but our flesh provides other gospels. Other good news realities that we think, well, that's, that sounds like good news to me. Let me invest my time, my heart, my affections in that good news, whatever it may be. Ultimately, it's, idolatry. It's raising up something else above the good news of the gospel. Let's remain in the word of the Lord and give ourselves more and more to it. The second thing that I would say stands forever is the church of Christ. If you're already there in 1 Peter 1, it's just below that in 1 Peter 2, verse 4. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe. So this reality is that God is building the church of Christ. Did you see that? Verse 5, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house. That is a promise that we can bank on. No matter our circumstances, no matter the pressure points for you individually as a living stone, or for our church as a living stone, God is building a place to worship for himself. You might say, well, I feel like I'm kind of out of whack here. He's building this temple, and he feels like maybe right now, me as a stone, I'm, I'm, I'm not quite plumb with the way this wall should be built. Trust the builder. 
Trust the builder. If you've been chosen by God, his love has been set upon you from all eternity. And that reality means that he knew exactly, he knew exactly when he was going to regenerate you. He knew exactly when he was going to give you the gift of salvation by faith. He knew exactly when he was going to send his spirit in you to sanctify you. He knew exactly when you were going to understand, I'm a child of God, hallelujah. He knew all of those things exactly. He also knows your exact situation and pressure points right now. There's nothing out of whack in his building plan. He's refining you. He is caring for you. He is loving us. The church of Christ stands forever. But that also looks, you might say, well, I don't feel like I'm out of whack, but there's another brick over there. She seems kind of out of whack. Or he's a little bit askew. All right? And Peter addresses that too. He talks about loving the brotherhood. All right? He talks about loving the brotherhood. He's, he's wanting us, um, chapter 3, verse 8, finally all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love. Okay? This is where adoption comes to the street level. Because all of us who are in Christ, who have been born again, are sons and daughters of the King. And so we are spiritual siblings. Don't call somebody else out of whack before you say, God, humbly correct me. Don't search for the log in some, for the speck in somebody else's eye when that log is just hanging out there. This is humility. This is humility. Um, so you, you may have heard the story in Acts 15 when Paul and Barnabas were getting ready to go on another missionary journey. And Paul's like, let's go. And Barnabas says, um, could I bring my cousin Mark? And Paul says, nah, we shouldn't bring Mark this time. Mark abandoned us last time in Pamphylia. Do you remember that? And Barnabas is like, yeah, but I need to be with Mark. And then they separated. There was disagreement, discord, and separation. And then Paul ended up going with Silas for that next missionary journey. Well, the interesting thing here is that Mark ends up linking up with Peter, but then Silas, who was close with Paul, now has relinked up with Peter as well. The reason I say this is because sometimes in God's providence, there is friction between the bricks. Okay? There is friction between the bricks. But even that friction, even those pressure points that may be between us, is for our sanctification. So when you're feeling that relational pressure between, your spirit, between you and a spiritual sibling, ask God, what are you trying to show me? What do I need to repent of? How are you refining me, 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 me? You, God, please work in me. Correct me if I've 
as a living stone, have tried to make myself askew. So it's interesting here that at the end of 1 Peter, Silas is the one that brought the letter. And what does Paul call him, or what does Peter call him? A faithful brother as I regard him. Was that, was that an indicator that churches in Asia Minor, which are the churches that Paul went to right after Mark turned around and went back to Antioch, churches of Asia Minor, I'm, we're good. We're good. Me, Paul, Barnabas, Silas, Mark, we're all good. There's a, there's a unity of mind and mission here in Christ. He continues to build his church. Third thing, what stands? The word of God, the gospel, the church of Christ. Chapter 4, verse 19, Therefore let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator. What else will stand for eternity? The will of God. So again, if you're wondering why these pressure points, why these fears, why these anxieties, why these struggles, trust his will. Trust his will. And trust not just his will, but trust him. Trust him. Go beyond trusting just his plan and trust his purpose. I mean, trust his person. We need revival in our hearts to be reminded that God is true. And God is personal. He knows our frames. He knows that we are dust. Yet he has set his love upon us. The gospel will stand. The church will stand. God's will will stand. Last thing I would say is this. What else will stand? Our union with Christ. Our union with Christ. For some of you, that might be a new term. What does it mean to be united to Christ? Well, it sounds pretty much like it sounds. We are joined to Christ. He is in the born-again believer, and the born-again believer is in him. This is a reality. Marcus Paul Johnson says this, Our union with Christ is profoundly real and intensely intimate. Union with Christ is not a sentiment, metaphor, or illustration, or even primarily a doctrine. Nor is it a way of speaking about something else, whether justification, sanctification, or any other benefit of Christ, even if it includes all of these and more. Our union with the living Christ is the essential truth of our new and eternal existence. Can I say that again? Our union with the living Christ is the essential truth of our new and eternal existence. In a way that gloriously transcends our finite understanding, we are really and truly joined spiritually and bodily to the crucified, resurrected, incarnate person of Christ. There is no better news than this. Let that sink in a little bit. Even if you wanted to be a lone ranger, born-again Christian, you never can be again. Because you are in Christ. You are in 
Christ. Martin Lloyd-Jones said this, what happens, when he's talking about union with Christ, he says, what happens to him happens to you. He looks at Romans 6, where it says, we were crucified with Christ, and now we are also raised with Christ. There is this withness, this inness, that happens over 200 times in the New Testament. The New Testament is reverberating with the reality that by God's grace, we've even been invited into fellowship with the Trinity himself. This is not about you making a profession of faith and then wondering if you have what it takes or if the pressure is going to beat you down, the knee-buckling spiritually is going to ultimately lead you to walk away. This is about God's grace, the truth of his grace, saying, he's mine and he is now in me. I love her and now she has joined with me. It is an incredible reality. Dane Ortland in his book, Deeper, he has a whole chapter on union with Christ. I would highly recommend it. He says this, Christ would have to be thrown out of heaven or de-resurrected for any, be, for any believer to be denied eternity. Think on that. Think on that. Because we often think, there's something that I might do someday that is going to make me irretrievable. If you've been born again, there is nothing ever that would make you irretrievable. That's good news. Ortland also with this I wrap up, Ortland also talks about how do we as Christians see life after salvation? It's often called sanctification. He also talks about it as growth. How do we understand that? And nodding to Jerry Bridges, he, he gives this, this fourfold this, this fourfold um, way that people can understand sanctification. Sorry, my mind just went blank. But listen to this. He says, sometimes when people come to faith in Christ, they then say, God did that. Now it's up to me. It's not the biblical reality. Some people say, God did that, and now it's no longer me. So I'm just going to kick back and let God sanctify me. The first one, God, then me, is basically saying, I've got to sanctify myself. The other one is basically saying, God's got to sanctify me. Third possibility would be God plus me. So it's the way that he illustrates it in the book is kind of think of this circle of sanctification, and there's God on one side and me on the other side, a squiggly line down the middle. So we kind of, it's, we have Z's it, okay? We kind of, we both do it together. He says that's not really the biblical reality either. The biblical reality is that because we're united with Christ, it is God in me and me in God. 100% God and 100% me. And if I can just say it, 
That's what we see right here. Because Peter is saying this is the true grace of God, 100% God. Stand firm in it, 100% us. Because here's the beautiful reality. When God's grace transforms our lives, makes us his, the reality is we will stand. We will stand firm in it. We should be exhorted, encouraged to stand firm in it. And we will stand in it because that's what God does when he changes people. Every pressure point that you're feeling because you're united to Christ, Christ feels it too. But what if I don't pray about this thing? You should pray about it. But Christ already feels it. He knows it. We are in him. The one who was born again is in Christ. So brother and sister in Christ, have peace. Last phrase of this letter. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. Peace. 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 It does not depend upon you to maintain your status with him. You are his. Believer born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, you are also resurrected with him. The very Holy Spirit who raised Christ from the dead lives in you, and you will stand in the true grace of God because you are standing in Christ. So then, in this glorious reality that we do stand in Christ, remember, this is the true grace of God. So stand in it. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you that when you looked at Peter just before he was going to deny you, you said, Peter, I have prayed for you that your faith would not fail. And, O oh God of heaven, I thank you that in that same way, Lord Jesus, you are interceding for us, praying that our faith would not fail. And oh, the security, the assurance, the wonder that our King of kings and Lord of lords thinks on us and prays for us and guards our faith. So may our faith be fuller and fuller in you and you alone, Lord Jesus. Amen.